after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them, he said to him. So shall your descendants be. And he, Abraham, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. Now, verse 6 is a very important verse because it's used three times in the New Testament to affirm the gospel of grace through our faith in Jesus Christ for the church and the everlasting covenant. And we'll get to that in a moment. But as we come to this story, we want to get the context. Again, Abram just came off this great victory. He's in the land of promise. He's growing and learning in his journey, just like all of us hopefully are. And if we review his life, we know that God appeared to him there in Ur the Chaldeans, modern Iraq. And he said, get out of your family, get out of your relatives, get out of your country and go to the land I'm going to give you. And I will make of you a great nation. So here's Abram. He's got his wife, Sarai. They haven't had any offspring. She's been barren. And God says to him, get out and come to where I'm showing you. And though you can't see it right now, you and your wife, from you, I'm going to make a great nation. So most of us would be happy just, and I've ministered for years with people who are barren, praying for them and various things and seeing the Lord do some miraculous stuff with opening the womb for certain women and giving them children, which is awesome. But in most cases, if you wanted to have children and you couldn't, you would just be so excited to have a child, which, for example, Zacharias and Elizabeth in the New Testament, their son is John the Baptist. And Elizabeth says, the Lord has taken away my reproach. And she was so excited. And you just be so excited. But if that's not enough for Abram and Sarai, God says from you, a great nation's going to come. Not just a, a son or a daughter or descendants, but a great nation, which seems so impossible. Then as the story progressed there in the last couple chapters, as he got to the land, God affirmed to him again that when he got to Canaan in chapters 12, verse 7, he said, he appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So God is speaking with what he sees in the end game, because of course God sees end from the beginning. And where Abram's got no descendants, God's saying, look, to your descendants, I'm going to give all this land. Then when him and Lot and his men had the dispute over the, the land, the herdsmen for the land, for the grazing of the animals, Abram lets Lot go first, and he picks Sodom and Gomorrah. And then God affirms to him again, Look every which direction, for all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And God's speaking these promises into his life, over his life about the future. And of course, God knows the end from the beginning. And he always says, put me to the test, because I'll tell you what's going to happen before it happens. And that's how you know it's me, the Lord. But this is personal for Abram. And then everything last week with the, the battle Tittle Amar and all that stuff, and then the tithe to Melchizedek and not taking anything from the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. To now, the Lord says, do not be afraid. It would be natural to be afraid. You just, it would be natural to be afraid. Tittle Amar was who everyone paid tribute to for over a decade. And he's a bad dude that hangs out with bad dudes. They're violent men who murder and kill and pillage. And he has just run a commando raid against these guys 
and reclaims all the assets of Sodom and Gomorrah, the people and their wealth, and brings them back. And then from those mountaintop experiences we often find after something great and profound happens in our life, exciting, exhilarating, or a great level of success, it might be graduating college, it might be buying a home, it could be any number of things that we just feel really good about, some athletic or academic achievement, and then you, know, you kind of settle in and this is your job, this is your neighborhood, this is your life. And there are things that can, you can settle into that would cause you fear. And for God to say do not fear means more than likely that Abram did have fear of reprisal. Because, you know, in the Middle East, it's definitely just keeps going on, right? I mean, it just keeps going on and on and on. And in the human experience, it tends to go on and on and on until someone turns the other cheek, which is almost impossible to happen without Jesus Christ working in our lives and in a people. Here, God says, I am your reward, your exceedingly great reward, and your shield. So God says to Abram, I'm your exceedingly great reward. I am your reward. You gave all the wealth back to Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm your reward. And I'm your shield. So don't worry about these guys coming back after you. And then we have this statement where Abram speaks what's on his heart. And maybe you can relate to this. There's times like you just have things. Well, the Lord knows our thoughts and tents of our heart. So David said, search me and try me. Know what's in my heart and show me what's in me. The Bible tells us to examine ourselves. And the Bible tells us that the Lord examines us. And if we examine ourselves, then we don't get reproved in various ways because we get it from the Lord first. And so the idea is that even for a believer in the new covenant, like the Holy Spirit convicts us of things and searches us. So God knows our heart and he knows what we're thinking. And it's good to be transparent with the Lord in our personal relationships with the Lord. Nothing surprises him that happens in your life, though much might surprise you and me that happens in our life. And Abram's comment here in verse 2, Lord God, what will you give me? I think we can relate to that. You you do the right thing. You walk away from a conflict, a legal dispute. You let it go. I mean, you'd like to see justice happen when you turn the other cheek. And, you know, it's it's a good thing. Like when you've been wrongly maligned at work or by employers or whatever, and and you let it go, and it's an honorable thing, and it's natural. Like when you do something good for people, you want them to say thank you, but you can't do things because people will say thank you because a lot of times they don't say they're thankful, and a lot of times people don't say they're sorry, but you still got to forgive them too, right? So in the human experience, it's just there's things that we have, and, and we have a relationship with God. He's our Heavenly Father, Abba Father. So Abram says, like, what will you give me? Hey, Dad, I honored you. Like I gave the tithe to Melchizedek, the king and priest, and he told me, you gave me the victory. And I said, praise the Lord. And I gave him the tithe. And I didn't take anything from the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. So what will you give me? But really the question is, what does Abram really want? Well, it's quite clear. Abram wants the fulfillment of what God promised to him repeatedly, year after year for years. Because these promises I've reviewed for us, they took place over years and well over a decade. And sometimes God will promise us something we believe, and then it doesn't come to pass in six months and then a year and years. Like, wow, is this ever going to happen? I think we can relate to this. I certainly can. I mentioned this last week, and I'll mention it again in reviewing Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, a classic and a must read for anyone that really is serious about their faith. Hudson Taylor said this in the latter part of his life. I'll take four decades of trials and tribulations that shape me and mold me for one decade that's super fruitful. 
And I thought, well, that's good news because that means like God could take four decades of failure and frustration and redeem that if you can get one decade that's fruitful. This from the man is considered probably the most impactful missionary in the history of the Church of Jesus Christ. Like, wow, I like that. Remember, he died fulfilling his goals in China in the turn of the century, 1904-05. He wanted to take the gospel to all those closed provinces of China, inland China. And when his life was done, all the children he had buried, the wife he had buried, all the heartache that he went through, it was mission accomplished. And he said, it, the more that earth and time has a hurt and a cut to it, with loved ones leaving us, how much sweeter will our entrance be into heaven? And how sweet his entrance was into heaven. As he was in one of those inland provinces, read this last, looking at his son, who was in the ministry, in the mission field, by his side. And he just went with a smile on his face. That's what the record says. But he said, I'll take four decades of disappointment, heartache, frustration, if it'll produce one good decade of good fruit. So those of you who are 50, 60, don't lose heart. You might have a good run in front of you. You might have a really good run in front of you. Those of you that are 20, you might only have 10 years in front of you, so get to it and get with it. You might not have three or four decades to fumble around and figure out what you're doing. You might need to get to it pretty quick, like we've seen a lot of godly people come and go that were young. But what Abram says is interesting because it reveals his heart. What will you give me? And then the sentence continues with a comma. So it's not what would you give me, but with the comma, the act, it's almost like an accusation, and we can relate to this. Seeing I go childless, and there my house is Eliezer Damascus. So we know what Abram wants. He wants a son. All he wants is what God has promised him. Can you relate to that? Oh, I'm hanging on to the promises. I'm under the blood. But sometimes it doesn't go the way we think it should. But as for God, his way is perfect. Then Abram says more. And by the way, as long as we're having this conversation, Heavenly Father, Abba Father, I've got a few more things I'd like to share. Look, you've given me no offspring, indeed one born in my house as my heir. Well, there it is. It's all on the table. It's like those family gatherings. Well, let's just have this conversation. Are we doing this? Well, yes, we're doing this. And there it is. What will you give me? I'm your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Yeah, that's great, Dad. And I've got sons. And my dad's so alive. That's great, Dad. But what will you give me? Because I've honored you and I've done the right things, which certainly could have been added. Because you have not given me the son you've promised me. And now some guy who's my best employee, he's, his kids are the heir of my house. And we can just add to what God already promised him. You told me before I left my homeland, you'd make a great nation of me. You told me when I get like Lot go first with Sodom and Gomorrah that if I could count the dust, my descendants would, couldn't be equal to that. So where are the promises and where is the fulfillment? And God answers them. It is worth considering this thought process that we would have for us. The strength of Abram's words in verse 3. Look, you have given me no offspring. And that does sound a little bit accusative, doesn't it? Like maybe. Or even let's give Abram the benefit of the doubt that he's still spirit-filled and spirit-led right now, if you will. You know, sometimes you say stuff. It's true, and it's like, well, you, you know, you still haven't given me the son. And there it is. 
You know, the Bible is filled with men and women who have been extremely disappointed in their relationship with God, who have done great things for God and been used mighty by God. You think of Ruth and Naomi from the book of Ruth, and Naomi, her mother-in-law. When Naomi came back from Jordan to the land of Israel after her sons died there and after her husband died, and she came back with nothing but Ruth was by her side, her daughter-in-law, and she said, your God will be my God, your people will be my people, and she was all in. And when Naomi came back to the hometown there of Bethlehem, all the women, everyone's so excited, you've come back. And she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for my life is bitter, and I come back bitter. It's a good thing the book of Ruth doesn't end in chapter 2. That fourth chapter has something pretty special. Because, of course, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, marries Boaz, and the inheritance that was Naomi's is stayed in the family, even though she lost her husband and sons. The heartache of losing your husband and both sons, but that daughter-in-law. And then that daughter-in-law has that son, who's your grandson, that way, And she took care of that grandchild. And from Obed came Jesse. And from Jesse came the great King David. But oh, how bitter it seemed coming back empty-handed from Jordan. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because my life is bitter. Don't end your life like that. Don't let your life end in chapter 2 of Ruth. Let it be chapter 4 with the joy of the baby. And you won't get to see your descendants' descendants, but Jesse, then David, and the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, will come through that offspring. In fact, it's interesting in the wilderness wandering when the Jews came out of Egypt that they came to the place of bitter water. It was called Marah, but that water was made sweet when they added the tree. God said, put the tree in the water, and the water is made sweet. And the tree is always symbolic of Christ, particularly in the Old Testament. Curses everyone hangs on a tree, Jesus Christ in the law. Hannah poured out her heart to the Lord. She couldn't have children. Her rival mocked her. And in anguish of soul there in 1 Samuel chapter 1, she pours out her heart to the Lord. And Eli's like, what's wrong with you? You've been drinking. And she's like, no, but I've poured out my heart to the Lord and I've been in sorrow and anguish. And then she goes, but I'm at peace now. And through that prayer, she said, if you give me a son, he will serve you, he'll be consecrated to you, and he'll be all yours. He won't be my son, he'll be your son. And she had a son, and her son's name is Samuel the prophet, the prophet who ordained the great King David. But she poured out anguish of soul, and then God gave her many more children after that, as if that even mattered after that point. And even John the Baptist himself, when he was imprisoned by Herod the Tetrarch, in a dark place of discouragement, he said, sent messengers to Jesus and said, are you the one or do we look for another? If the greatest of all prophets can be that disappointed and that disheartened and that discouraged, take comfort. Because in the human experience, I do believe God is very empathetic and very understanding with us when we pour out our hearts, when we're filled with bitterness and heartache and discouraged and despondent and beat down. Those are human emotions that life brings. And all you need is immediate relatives to bring that on co-workers, neighbors, and needless to say, social media, if you're a glutton for punishment. There is no shortages of people 
the world system, your flesh, the devil, and the linear movement of looking in the mirror at yourself to find things that will discourage you, dishearten you, and get your mind and your heart off the promises of God. And, and all the promises of God, even reaffirmed personally by God to you, the sand that you walk on, all these things, you can forget it so easily when you focus on what you don't have and what God's not doing instead of what you do have and what God is doing. But I think we can really relate to this. I'm very comforted by Abram, the father of faith, saying, what are you going to give me? I'm, I'm trying to hang on to these promises, but it's, it's a little tough right now. And then we see here in verse 4, so that human experience, the discouragement, you know, don't beat yourself up. Get your eyes back on the Lord. And the Lord said to him, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, verse 4, and this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then God takes him outside and says, Look at all the stars. If you could count those, so shall your descendants be. So he already showed him all, all that's uh, terrestrial. Hey, everywhere you walk, terrestrial, the earth. Yeah, the sand. Yeah, well, now let's go celestial. We're upgrading the promise. It's an upgrade. You know, like your phone gets an upgrade. Oh, I got an upgrade. You hit the upgrade, and then it's like, everything looks different, right? Everything's different. It's like, oh, I got an upgrade. I just did it last week, so I know it looks like, everything looks different, you know? Plus, you can't see, you can't see right without your glasses when you're almost 60 anyways. So you're like, oh, my phone looks different. What? Hey, Luke, what's going on with my phone? So, you know, it's like, it's an upgrade. The promise got an upgrade. Walk the land and the soil, your descendants. Hey, upgrade. Look up all these stars, and I'd rather look up. If you could number them, your descendants would be more than that. And by the way, all the promises of God are yes, yes, and they're an upgrade because they're yes and amen. Amen, might as well just say upgrade. We're going from glory to glory. And this brings an interesting thought to me for application for us tonight. Now, there's a universal application for all the promises of God when we give our life to Jesus Christ. When we pass from death to life and we ask Christ to forgive us and come into our life, we, we pass from in Adam to being in Christ. And we pass from condemnation to justification, from hell to heaven, from darkness to light. And it's it, we're a new creation, as it says in 2 Corinthians. And these promises, contextually, absolutely, for the church, and in principle, certain promises of the Old Testament, because God's the same yesterday and today and forever, they're ours. So you go from having nothing in the eternal kingdom and nothing in the realm of the spirit to having everything. Because in Christ, we have all things. So tonight, there's a universality, if that's such a word, that for each one of us born of the spirit, those promises of God for the body of Christ for the last 2,000 years, they're ours. As there were Fanny Crosby's, you know, playing music as she was blind for the deal, for Deal Moody and the Crusades in the 1800s in Chicago and everywhere else, and going to England and all the songs she wrote, and it, they were her promises then, and there are promises now. Even as there were Marie Taylor's before she died in service to the Lord, she got sick, and China Hudson's first wife that he loved so much, and she was raised in China. Her parents died in China. It's an incredible love story, her and Hudson. The same promises that were hers and George Mueller's and all those kids that came to Christ through his 
orphanages that he had there in Bristol. The same promises, they're ours tonight. And when we step into eternity and we pass the baton to the next generation of the church, it will be their promises too. And so we speak and we pray the promises of God over our lives, the people we love, our children, and our children's children. Because he's the same yesterday today and forever. But the thing that gets my attention here with Abram is how personal God is with him because these are personal promises to Abram. Which brings up another thought. We have this common denominator of the promises of God applying to brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of the king, Romans 8, Abba Father, we're joint heirs with Christ, we're in the trust, we're in the estate. But he has personal promises for each one of us in the sense that his word, as we read his word and take it in, he'll speak to us from his word what he wants to do through his word and through our lives. In other words, because we're in a relationship, not religion, but relationship, God speaks to us from his word, and he'll impress things on our heart. He'll lead us by his word, and then he'll confirm it through affirmation of his word, Maybe this sign, this vision, this thought, something someone said, something you saw. But it's, it's, a, it's a fine-tuned frequency to receive those promises personally. If you're carnal, you won't hear them. If you're indifferent, for the, Jesus himself said, many are called, but few are chosen. If you don't make time for the Lord, you're not going to learn the frequency and how to hear and recognize the voice of the Lord. And what voice is more important than hearing the voice of the Lord, by the way? To hear the frequency. Hmm. Now, sometimes things are very practical in how he gives us a promise for your life. And sometimes things are very supernatural. I don't tell the story often, but, you know, my whole life was to win the Pipeline Masters as a surfer. My whole life was driven by one goal, when I was still top 20 in the world at the age of 24, but I was going to be leaving the pro tour, and I'd let that dream go. And the night before the Pipe Masters that I won, December 16th, 1984, I had a dream where I won the Pipe Masters. And there were so many details in that dream. In that dream, I won it, and in that dream, I was paddling out, and my friend and rival, Derek Ho, was in a big barrel coming at me, and right when he was coming out, the wave exploded on him, and he didn't make it. And in that dream, I picked up the Honolulu Advertiser, and there was a picture of me dropping in a pipeline that says, Joy Brand wins the Pipe Masters. I mean, it was the best dream, because that was my whole life. And I woke up, and I was like, oh, man, it was just a dream. But then I thought, it was a really good dream. And, you know, being Catholic and believing in God, I'm like, maybe it's a sign. Like how I thought, like, maybe it's a sign. Well, in the final of the Pipe Masters, this is when they didn't have computer scoring, so you had to kind of guess if you were winning or losing. I thought, I might be winning. It was a one-hour final. And I remember I just got a really good wave, and I was pounding back out, and Derek Ho was in the barrel. And he got blown up exactly like my dream. And I thought, my God, I'm going to win the Pipe Masters. This is my dream. This is my dream. I'm going to win the Pipe Masters. I'm looking at Tom Carroll, and the guy's like... You know, it's like, I'm going to win the Pipe Masters. That's my dream. God showed me what he was going to do before he did it 
in a dream, just like the first two chapters of Matthew. Now, of course, you know the story. They come and take the trophy away. It rains. Everyone leaves. And I end up on the beach by myself in a pouring rainstorm less than one hour after this. And if any man drinks from this well, they'll thirst again. And God let me have my dream. And then there was nobody on the beach, a pouring rain squall, just me and my boards. I'm like, this just cannot be happening. I'm the only pipe master champion that didn't get a trophy. That's the year they didn't have a trophy. They had the perpetual trophy. They took pictures of it with me, me with it. And then it rained. They took it back. And it's crazy. Oh, this is crazy. Like this dream just went really kind of weird. And yet to this day, that's part of who I am is that story. To this day, me winning the Pipe Masters and then them taking the trophy away, that's my testimony. You'll hear old stories of old studies with Pastor Brian Burson or Chuck Smith or others alluding to that story because I shared that story in the movie Sunriders, which was a very popular movie in the 80s in witnessing and winning people to Christ, a Christian surf movie. And people still come up to me, do you ever get your trophy? Luke was over at Edison recruiting for Grand Canyon University and one of the teachers like, Joey Brand, the California kid, first California win the Pipe Masters. See, when I won, it's like they all won. And then when they took the trophy away, it gives me that testimony with everybody. To this day, that is my testimony. Corrie Tim Boom said she had the same story that she told for 40 years. Hers is much better than mine, but I will tell you, drink from this water, you'll thirst again. And God let me have that moment. And then he took it so fast. He showed me the moment, then he took it, and then he's used it for 31 years plus since. And I shut up because he is personally involved in our lives. I am nothing. Well, I'm your pastor. Thank you. I appreciate that. But, uh, like, you know, there's, it's just like, there's, I'm just the kid that couldn't sit still in school and wouldn't get sent to the Catholic school because my mom said the nuns would beat me. I mean, I'm, I'm just that guy. Like, I'm the kid you didn't want in your classroom. There's just, it's God's grace and mercy. But he is personal, and he does make personal promises. And when I prayed for a prayer request that someone gave me for a Calvary Chapel on Virginia Beach, the moment I prayed, he said, you're the person, 1988. He said, you're the person. I mean, you know the frequency. You're the person. I'm like, I'm called to Virginia Beach. See, we need to know the frequency, and we need to know the promises, so when God speaks them to you, and if you go through the Bible, you just get them over and over, and they're yours. Affirm those promises. Meditate upon those promises. And I dare say, claim those promises. Hey, if my kids got to claim my trust, our trust for them, they can go to any law office, and there it is in the trust, and they can claim it. It's right there. It's got the seals, it's got the notaries, and those are, those are that's, a, that's a trust and that's an inheritance they can claim. It's legally, rightfully theirs. And God tells us his promises are our claim, legally and rightfully, as his children. Because the moment we get saved and we give our life to Christ, we come into the estate. And we are joint heirs with Christ. And Abba Father wants to direct our lives and he wants to speak to us personally, his promises into our lives to help us fulfill the purposes and the plans and the calling of our lives. To this point, Abram's responsibility has been to go, to leave, leave, go, and to believe. He hasn't really had... Now, he hasn't, doesn't have a son yet, but it's leave and believe. That's what we have so far. 
with Abram. So far, this father of faith with his amazing wife, Sarah, it's leave and believe. Which brings us to our final application. But don't miss those promises. Meditate on his word. Write them in your journal. Write them down. My wife writes her Bible studies on these white tablets like you get at Staples or whatever. I've got a bin full of them. I've kept my wife's devotions, all of her Bibles, everything. I've kept all my Bibles, not all my devotion notes. But I got smarter. I got like a, a school ledger one. And now I put like, your, what, your Christmas cards, they're in there. I tape them in there. Sometimes I go to the chiropractor. I put the business card. I tape it in there, my devotion. Yep, there we go, L5. Thank you, Jesus. Let the reader understand. Sometimes when we go to the movie, I'll save it. Yep, there we go, went to this movie. And, you know, Star Wars or whatever. It was the family. We were together. It was a special moment. I put it in my journal. It's getting easier to follow my life in recent years because it's all there. But I write what God's speaking to me. I write what God's speaking to me, and it's there. I write those promises. I'm reading Proverbs about half a chapter a morning. I, I write the application. I'm underlining. Write it down. Meditate upon it. Blessed is the man or woman who meditates on the law of the Lord. And they, their delight is in his word. For they'll be fruitful like the tree by the river. And they'll bring forth their fruit in season. You want to be, we want to be women and men who are walking as children of the king Understanding the promises as a whole for our joint heirs, but understanding them for us because it's easy for us to think about the promises applying to Pastor Chuck or Pastor Brian Burson or Greg Laurie, but you need to apply them to you because they apply to you in your life. There are no superhumans. We're all saved by grace. And so I encourage you, hear God speak and let God speak and receive what he's speaking, his promises into your life for your circumstances in your situations. Because when you come to what you don't know, which is a lot of the human experience, you fall back on what you do know, which is every promise of God is yes, yes, and amen. Now, the last thing is this famous verse where it says in verse 6, and he believed the Lord. So he got the promise upgrade, and he believed the Lord. And he, that is the Lord, accounted to Abram as righteousness. He believed the Lord. It's twofold. He believed what God said, and he accounted for righteousness. Now, again, I'll use my own children and estate. They know they're in our trust and in our estate. They don't ask to look at the estate. They know they're in the estate. We say we've taken care of them. We've done this and that. Like, they know. Our kids, one thing as parents is super important, and I think most of you parents know this. It is really, really of the highest importance in life in general, that your yes is yes and your no is no. But particularly with children and particularly for the dads, because our Heavenly Father is yes and yes, but not yes and no. And it's so important that when you speak something for your children, that you follow through on that and you fulfill that and you keep that and for some reason you can't because it's out of your control. Let it be a learning experience by which you can grow. But the man or woman who goes through this journey for 80 years and their word is golden. What is more golden than your word being credible? Because people can trust your word at work. They can trust your word in the neighborhood. They can trust your word at church. They can trust your word in the family gatherings. Oh, you get one chance to have your words be golden 
and valid and how easily people give away the credibility of their words and they're lost or not perfect. But we want to keep our word because God keeps his word. And Abram knew he could trust God and he simply believed the promise affirmed again. He believed it. That's the only thing he's done so far. Leave and believe. And he believes it. So what God really would have us learn tonight from the lesson of Abram is to believe it. To believe that he who promised is able. We think who's making the promise? Their character. God is light and him is no darkness at all. So he even swears by his own name to set the deal straight for us. Because it's impossible for God to lie. It is not in his nature. He cannot lie. You and I, we can lie and we can be deceitful. It is impossible for God to lie because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So he's not going to lie. All the promises are yes and yes. Or he says no and no, but he doesn't say yes and no. God is light and him is no darkness at all. And when he makes promises to us, he keeps them. And we can trust them. And we can believe them. Every one of them. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. So believe those promises. Stand in those promises. Rest in those promises. Whatever comes our way. Because again, we come to things that we don't know. We fall back on what we do know. And it's God who makes the promise. He has the power to keep those promises. So his promises to us in Jesus Christ cannot be usurped by any force or entity in the universe. They're absolute. You can build your, well, he's the cornerstone. So he's the chief cornerstone. So we build our lives on him. He's our firm foundation. And if our lives are built personally, morally, ethically, integrity, the marriages, the children, the the raising of children, the standards, how we carry ourselves at work and in the community, if we're built on Jesus Christ, his word is going to be the final authority. No one usurps his word and can, con- no one, there's no force in the universe that can come against this word and change it and make it not applicable to our lives. And therefore, like Abram, we should believe God. Just believe God. It is not the ability of what God's going to do through us, it's our availability to let him do it through us as we leave and believe or we believe and cleave, however you want to look at it. But he wants us to trust him. Parents, you know you want your children to trust you. You've ever had that thing where you say to your children, am I for you or against you? Do you believe I'm for you or against you? Well, of course you're for us. And so when we, they say, they know, they acknowledge that we're for us, we want them to trust us. Son, daughter, I'm trying to help you right here. Cleave and believe. Abraham, believe God. That's how we're saved. What must we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. We're told in the book of Acts. To believe. If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we shall be saved, we're told in Romans chapter 10. And as we simply believe God's word, who His character can be trusted and his power to see it through can be trusted. 
and we pass from death to life through faith in Jesus, we can trust him with all things. He imputes to us and reckons to us righteousness because we believe in him. We're declared righteous not because we're great people or good people or morally straight. We're declared righteous because we believe his promises. And we pass from death to life and we're declared righteous. And we're in the trust, we're in the estate. And then that righteousness works itself out as it's the availability by trusting in the Lord as we go through this journey. This verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. Romans chapter 4, justification by faith. Galatians chapter 3, justification by faith. And then in the book of James chapter 2, faith that's not dead. So I leave you with that tonight, worship generation. The faith of Abram that he believed God was accounting for righteousness. That faith will prove itself in the coming chapters. That it wasn't a superficial, frivolous faith, but he truly, truly trusted in the character and the power of God. Because in chapter 22, he's going to go to Mount Moriah to offer up his son in obedience to the Lord. But as he left from Mount Moriah, he said to his servants, the boy and I go yonder to worship, and we will return. He was trusting in the character of God and the power of God. And we're told in Hebrews 11 that when he went up there, he knew that God was able to raise his son from the grave. So take heart, WG. Have faith, trust, believe, cling, hold fast to the Lord, and let those promises be yours. And of all things you can meditate on and all things you can let influence your life, what could be greater than the promises of God?